Don't forget to sign out on the back table there as you do that. It's a great song that, the mountains bow down and the seas will roar. Uh, you'll find those sort of um, lines in the book of Psalms and really when you get an understanding of who God is, um, that's what all creation does. It actually it reverberates with the glory of God and his uh, immenseness and his creative power and uh, the way he ordains and uh, has this earth universe ticking over as it was. It really is just a picture of God's awesome glory that he actually uh, controls and runs with. So when you um, get a grasp of that, it is uh, truly staggering to think about this God who has this immense power, loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us and to uh, make a way possible for us to be in union with him and relationship with him. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about a personal walk with Jesus and that is a tremendous thing. Uh, we're still working along in our uh, series on discipleship commitment and today we're going to take a, um, uh, a talk out of Ephesians, a book of Ephesians. Uh, this is a book that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Ephesus about 2,000 years ago. He uh, wrote to the church in Ephesus and unpacked the gospel for them and then uh, showed them what Christ has done for us and God's eternal plans before the foundation of the world. And then he also spoke about the implications for us as uh, committed disciples also. Ephesians was a, was a letter that Paul wrote from a Roman prison cell. So he wrote it from a very, uh, what you might say, undistracted place. There wasn't too many things happening there. He was basually bound up in this prison cell in Rome. And uh, God was giving him this tremendous revelation. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote here to Ephesus and uh, unpacked the gospel and uh, showed its implications there to encourage and stir the church in Ephesus to good works, to good works. So let's open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 2. And um, let's read from verses uh, 1 through 10. <clears throat> and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage here in uh, Ephesians. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired Paul as he sat in that Roman prison cell 2,000 years ago, and you gave him the revelation uh, to write this, to encourage and stir and provoke the church in Ephesus, to know and understand the gospel and your purposes that were set down before the foundation of the world and that part of those purposes were to save us, to redeem us, to transform us and then to give us good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to do. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, today, help us to grasp that. Help us to grasp that we are servants of the Most High God and you have prepared for each and every one of us good works. Good works that will bring honour and glory to your great name. Help us now, we pray, Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, just to keep up to date with where we are in the series, there's two more talks. There's today's talk uh, on uh, gospel commitment or discipleship through serving, through carrying out good works. That'll be today's talk. And then next week's talk is the last one, and that will be on gospel generosity. That will be on Jesus and the money that he's given to us to uh, steward. So I'm looking forward to that talk next week. I haven't spoken on money uh, since the start of the church, which is nearly five and a half years. So I'm looking forward to that next week. And I'm hoping everybody turns up as well. Because sometimes you announce the money talk, and no, I might just take this weekend off. But next week, we're going to talk a lot about money because Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven. So that's uh, next week's talk. We'll do that. A couple of things, though, I want to say up front today that will really help us with today's talk and also the talks we've been doing the last few weeks here on discipleship and commitment as well. And uh, what's important to grasp here, that we get this right understanding of our actions through gospel commitment or gospel discipleship, and we don't get it wrong. When I say this right understanding, what we don't want to do is get confused that somehow my godly disciplines of Bible reading, we spoke about that a few weeks ago, praying and meeting together a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about that as we meet together other believers, what we call church. So we don't get these godly disciplines and get them confused that somehow they are responsible for my salvation that somehow they're responsible for my salvation. This can easily happen to any of us. We can very easily begin to think that we must do something to earn God's favour or earn God's blessing or earn God's goodness to be given to me. And somehow I need to perform something. It's, it's sort of indoctrinated into us the way we work. We do our 40 hours work or whatever it might be and then we get the paycheck at the end. We work and then we earn something and then we get paid. But it's a great danger that we can fall into if we start to think that way uh, about the gospel and about salvation. Bible reading is a fantastic thing to do, and we spoke about that a few weeks ago, but Bible reading doesn't save you or me. The devil knows this Bible better than any one of us, and he is not saved. Prayer is a great thing. It's a really good thing we should be all actively involved in. But prayer doesn't save me and it doesn't save you. Meeting regularly with other believers at church is a fantastic thing. It's a great thing to grow your faith in Christ. But just coming to church 52 weeks of the year will not save you. Turning up to church does not save you and it does not save me. There's only one thing that saves us from God's judgment upon sin. One thing. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the only way through to God. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the fulfilment of a perfect life before God is what saves us. It's our putting our trust in his death for the forgiveness of our sins. That is what saves us. Godly discipline doesn't and can't save us. Only Jesus can save us. So it's really important that we get that right because we can somehow pull ourselves down the path of thinking, if I do this, this, this and this, that sort of, it, it contributes to God responding to me and saving me. We are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone. Really important that we get that um, sort of in our minds because it's so easy for us to slip down that other path. 
Secondly, to help us also grasp today's talk about serving, we need to be reminded why we have been created. We might even be doing this question in a few weeks' time, but we'll just really touch on it for like a couple of sentences here. Why has, God's made, why has God made us? What is my purpose? We've been created by God in his image to be the bearers of his, to reflect his glory into this world. We've been created in the image of God to reflect his glory back into this world, to reflect his worth, to reflect his value, to reflect his greatness through lives that show he is supremely and infinitely worthy of all praise, honour, glory and power. That is the purpose of a human being, is to reflect the glory of God. If you wanted to go to Isaiah 43, you'll see that. He says there, whom I made, whom I, whom I created these people for my glory. We are created to glorify God. That's what we are, made in the image of God to be reflectors of uh, God and his glory back into this world. So all of our serving as committed disciples of Jesus Christ is all about glorifying him. Doing good deeds or works or actions that make Jesus look supremely priceless is our motivation. We want to make Jesus look supremely priceless and our motivation through doing those good deeds is just that. Godly deeds or good works don't save us, Jesus saves us. Godly deeds or good works are a response to the gospel and they serve to glorify God who has saved us and called us from darkness into light into this uh, glorious relationship that we have with him. So let's grab those two thoughts now and let's take this into this passage here in Ephesians and just see how this works out in the idea that God has created us, created us for good works to serve him and to glorify him. Uh, this particular passage here in Ephesians is one of those classic passages that really tell us the gospel how it is. It's pretty stark and it's pretty out there and uh, the Holy Spirit was obviously giving Paul some great thoughts at this time as he was put, putting these together and uh, it was a pretty bleak look at the position of humanity here at the start of this passage in its rebellion before God. Paul often unpacked the gospel so people could get a grasp, be humbled by it but then also see the magnificent grace of God in coming to save us. Each and every one of us here in the start of this passage is walking our own path. We're walking our own path and this path is totally contrary to who, to who God is and it is totally dead to who God is. Let's have a look at those first three verses there. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul paints a pretty bleak picture here of those of us who are outside of Christ and not trusting in him. It's not good. But I want us to pick up here on this word walked in verse 2. In which you once walked. And the idea of walk here is in the sense of the way we live. It's all of our life. It's our habits. It's our disciplines. It's our actions. It's our words. It's our deeds. It's just how we do life. It's how we've walked life. You might find somebody and say, mate, this guy has walked this life as a committed gardener. He's loved his garden. He's got out there every weekend. He's pulled those weeds out. He's fertilised those trees. He's got the mower out and trimmed back the edges. He's walked the path of just loving his garden. He's walked this world as a gardener. You would see the description is just describing his life. Lived out, walked as a gardener for that particular person. And Paul's description here is he thinks about this walk in our natural state, which is ignorant of God and his ways, is simply that's the way we've chosen to walk 
this life outside of Christ. Walk in ignorance of who he is. And in verse 3 says, we lived in the passions of our flesh and we carried out the desires of the body and the mind. That's our desires, our passions, whatever seemed good to us, we did. We walked in that way. We walked in a way that didn't glorify God. We walked in a way that just carried out our own actions, our own words, our own deeds. Our habits and disciplines, actually all of life in this natural state outside of Christ, did not have a God-centered perspective to glorify him. That was the last thing in our mind. The only thing in our minds in this natural state was to serve ourselves. Do whatever I want to do for my desires, my needs, my passions, my wants. And in that perspective, as far as Paul's talking about here, in the natural state, everything else, including God, comes a very, very distant second to my own self-serving life. I walk in a way that is all about me. I live to serve me and I live to glorify myself, is what Paul is saying here in these early parts of this passage here in Ephesians. I walk my own path. I do my own thing. It's all about me. Amazingly, right in the middle of this, Paul comes back and says, God comes and rescues me from this totally self-centered, self-absorbed life. I'm rescued from this absolutely self-orientated person that I've become. And this becomes a complete work of God's grace alone. Paul's really consistent here in nearly every letter in unpacking the gospel exactly how it is and then showing us the depth of God's grace. And this is exactly what he does here again. In verses 4 and 5, he says this. But God, it's probably one of the, um, the uh, most critical points of a transition in a passage of Scripture. It sort of shows us where we are and it hits this point and it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, living our self-centered, self-absorbed life, but God made us alive together with Christ. And it's there like Paul even breaks off at the end. Then he starts off a new thought, by grace you have been saved. God has amazingly come in despite all of this. That but word is like despite all of your self-centeredness and self-absorbed life, God in mercy and grace steps in and rescues me from me. Really, I am my biggest problem. And if you're all honest, you are your biggest problem as well. When we're we're dead in serving ourselves only, God comes and makes us alive to him, opens up our mind to a whole new way of living and a whole new way of thinking. And this is made possible through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What Jesus achieves at the cross is nothing short of supernatural. It really and truly is. There is nothing else that could save us. There's nothing else that could turn us around and transform us. Jesus makes the only way possible for us to be reconciled to this new life, to be now made alive in Christ and reconciled back to God. Jesus makes a way possible now, instead of living this sort of um, fruitless life of dead works in self-centeredness and and totally self-absorbed, to now live a life that serves God with a whole new perspective and a whole new life to serve him. And this gospel here, this truth of who Jesus is, the real historical person, the person we are celebrating this month as we lead up to Christmas, as Ben started off before with Advent, is a real historical person. We celebrate this truth about him and what he has done to make this way possible for us to come back. And this becomes the foundation now to walk in a whole new life, a life that is now dedicated to glorifying God, 
a life that is now dedicated to making God look precious beyond all compare. A life that is now dedicated to displaying God as supremely worthy of all honour, glory, power and praise. This is exactly what the gospel does. It is amazing in its power to transform us and to now give me the ability to live a life and walk the way God has prepared me to walk to bring honour and glory to him. So with this new life, God hasn't left us then. He's brought us into this gospel transformation, but he hasn't left us like an idol statue that just sits around in the garden covered in cobwebs. I'm sure you've all seen those. Perhaps if you have only just got out in the garden in spring, you'll see that little garden gnome sitting over there and it's uh, idle, it's not doing anything and it's covered in cobwebs and uh, all sorts of dust unless the rain's got to it. Well, that's not how God makes us when he transforms us by the power of the gospel. No, not at all. Now, God calls us into a life of usefulness and purpose in our lives. God calls us to a life now to walk in good works that he has prepared for us and he's purposed for us to do, to carry out. Verse 10 here, we see that. For we are his workmanship. We are the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created for that which God prepared beforehand, which picks up on the whole theme here of Ephesians with Paul early on. It's, it's, it's a remarkable thing that God has done before the foundation of the world, that God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in these good works that he has prepared for us. And what I love about this passage is I think about this, that Paul doesn't start that, that verse at the top. What he does, he actually gets a thread or a chain here that Paul follows through to get to this end point of doing something. Verses 1 to 3, we looked at, shows us our deplorable situation and position. It was not good outside of the gospel. Paul switches it over in verse 4 to 9 and actually shows the grace and the mercy of God that comes in and rescues us and transforms us. A remarkable picture there of the supernatural power of God in his work in our lives. We are changed and we are transformed in and through the face of Jesus Christ and what he's done through the gospel. And then Paul, as he follows that down, then he gets to verse 10 and he says, now we are transformed by, in our lives through the workmanship of Jesus Christ and we are transformed to do something, to do the good works that he's prepared for us to do. A life now that has been created or recreated to live out in good works. It's a fantastic chain, a fantastic thread or line here that Paul follows very, very carefully shows us the foundation where it comes from and again highlights this fact that we don't get confused here thinking about these good works somehow contributes to God coming and saving me. Not at all. It all happens first and then we are called into these good works really as a response, as a response to what God has done. Because of this new heart, new mind, what can I do? How can I show thankfulness? What can I do to actually display this greatness of God? And here it is walk in these good works that God has prepared for us to do. So what does it mean to walk in good works? What does it mean to walk in good works? As we've already seen, to walk is to have all of our life's habits, disciplines, actions, words, thoughts, whatever, sort of characterised by life, encompassing all of life. It's wrapped up in this phrase, to walk, to live. And to think about walking, it's something you've got to do. It's an action, isn't it? It it's, it's requires some effort, requires some sort of work. And if we think about this good work, 
wrapped up here in this idea of walking now in good works, for what God's prepared us to do, the ultimate, the highest good work that any one of us can do, that actually what we are called to do, is to live for the glory of God. That's what I said before, we get that grasp, that thought, that helps us to get a, a good anchor point here as we work our way through this. And Paul said it again to the Corinthians as well, and he said this to them in verse 31 of chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. He says very simply, but uh, very powerfully, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Pretty encompassing that word there, all. All, whatever you do. So how we walk or how we do all of life becomes now a life of good works to glorify God. Anything, anything, all of our actions now in life serve to make God look supremely valuable beyond all compare. Anything I now undertake to carry out becomes somehow or some way I can reflect the priceless, infinite worth of God through my life. We become the servants of God in doing this. Not that God needs anything from us to serve him with. We become the servants of God now to display his greatness through good works to a lost and dying world that makes God look great. And this again is the remarkable power of the gospel that transforms us from walking for ourselves to now walking for God. Living for ourselves in our own way, totally self-centered and self-absorbed, to now living for God in a life totally surrendered to him through the power of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us in the Holy Spirit. How does this look then? This idea of everything we do is done for the glory of God. How does this work its way down into the sort of nitty-gritty details of everyday life? Everything in life becomes a good work. A good work now that brings glory to God. And in this it makes no difference. If you're brushing your teeth in the morning or you're feeding the starving in poverty-stricken countries across the other side of the world. They are both good works. They are both there to serve to glorify God. Now, of course, various good works will have various impacts. If you're brushing your teeth for the glory of God, which you can, you may only impact the dentist. He may be the only one who realises, yep, he's looking after his teeth. That's all right. If you're feeding the thousands in a poverty-stricken country, you may have a larger impact to glorify God. But it makes no difference. Everything is encompassed here by good works. And we can bring glory to God through every single thing that we do. Think about this and this idea also as we think about good works, that God has gifted all of us uniquely to come and to serve him to carry out these good works. And this is another picture of God's grace in giving us the ability to carry out these good works. Each and every one of us sitting here today has a different ability or gift or talent to serve God and to glorify him. We get a picture of this in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul again says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now Paul has a passage there where he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit in the church, but there's uh, applications across all things there in the varieties of service, varieties of gifts, in the way God has gifted us and given us various talents. 
every single person sitting here without exception, without exception, every single person has a gift or ability that God has given to them to be used as a good work to serve God and to glorify Him. There's not one person in this room that doesn't have a gift or talent or ability from God that can be used to glorify Him. There are no exceptions. God works uniquely with every single person to do this. And the whole idea of what we have or what God has given to us is to be then surrendered and used for His glory to make God look supremely valuable. And as committed disciples, this is a great part where we can actually display Christ as a body of believers combining these gifts and talents and uh, ministries together to display these good works. Now they'll vary. They will vary. Sometimes they may be public upfront gifts. It may be something that's very visible. It could be somebody who's teaching the Bible. It could be somebody who's involved in music worship ministry here in the church as we think about these gifts perhaps working or this good works working in a church scenario. And we thank God for those public upfront gifts. We really do. The, the, uh, the music worship team is a great blessing to me. It really is. These guys are gifted by God to help encourage us to worship God. God's given them a talent. God's given them a gift. He's actually prepared them for this good work. This good work of encouraging us and inspiring us to sing and to worship and to proclaim the truths of Christ in and through music. I think about those guys and they're all week, they're practicing, they get their songs, hopefully by the middle of the week, and they're starting to go through their songs and think about it and put it down on the instrument and get it right. And uh, then they rock up here at 8.15 on, uh, this morning, Sunday morning, and the sound guys turn up as well and they're here very, very early. And they're up very, very early putting their talents and their gifts together. And what are they doing? They're encouraging us to glorify God. They're using this gift that God has given to them for us to be encouraged and to be inspired through the good works of singing and praising God with the mouths and the voices that he's given to us. As I think about that, let me say this. If God has given you an ability to sing or play an instrument, he's given it to you for this very, very good purpose. And this purpose is to serve him and to glorify him. To help encourage the greater body to come together and to lift up their voices in proclamation of the great God that we serve. It can be used to bless others, this gift or talent, and point others towards Jesus, the source of all this blessing. And for those of you maybe who are sitting here and have a gift like that, please don't hide it. Please don't hide it. If you have a talent or an ability to sing or play an instrument, don't sit on it and let it be wasted. It would be a terrible waste. If God's given you this gift or talent to use to help encourage others and inspire others, and then you just sat on it and let it fall away. If you do that, if you have a gift or talent that God's given and you choose to let it waste, you really are robbing a blessing uh, of yourself by not serving and you're robbing a blessing of us also of not being able to benefit of the encouragement that we receive when we see you using the talent or gift that God has given you. Because there truly is a double blessing when it comes to using these gifts and talents that we are given. God uses these gifts as we humbly 
submit them before him to really uh, help encourage others. And God blesses us, the person with the gift of talent, as they surrender that. And secondly, others are blessed, really inspired by what they see and what happens. To see somebody get up there, which I know is not easy sometimes, sometimes it's very difficult, it truly does bless me. I'm just going to embarrass Caleb. Caleb's been, that's his second time he's got up and led singing here. And Lauren's not here today, but Lauren did it a few months ago. That really blessed me and encouraged me. When I see somebody who says, yeah, I think I can sing, and Caleb can sing, he can sing way better than me, he got up and he has a go. It's very difficult. It's very nervous. It's hard. When you're standing up here and you're trying to get your songs right, and you're looking at all these people, it just doesn't quite come together sometimes. But the fact that he gets up there blesses me. God has used Caleb through his gift and talent and ability to encourage me. Caleb is doing a good work that God's prepared beforehand for him to do. What can we do then with those ones who are giving those gifts? We can actually join in with them. We can encourage them. It can become reciprocal. We can encourage them as they try and lead us and inspire us. We can engage with what they're doing. We can say, if Caleb's going to get up there and do that, I want to join in with him and I want to sing. I want to praise and worship this great God that we serve. That's a great thing that we can do as a congregation to get that reciprocal arrangement happening where the blessing is basically flowing both ways. Because I can assure you here, uh, the musicians are triply blessed when the congregation engages and sings with them, that actually is a great blessing and encouragement for them. It can go both ways. And what does that do? It serves to glorify God. It serves to make God look infinitely priceless and worthy as he's given us these gifts and we surrender them and submit them together to be a, uh, a sweet, as it were, sounding of the glorious gospel as we sing it together. Some gifts are upfront gifts. Some gifts are public gifts. As we think about it in the church, that is a public gift or an upfront gift. Some other good works, though, aren't upfront. Some are more behind the scenes. Some aren't as noticed as much. But they're just as important and they play a very critical role in glorifying God. We don't demean any gift or talent uh, in the body of Christ. Here's a really, 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 really good work that probably seems really insignificant, but it's vital. And this is the good work of welcoming people. It seems really insignificant. Like, is that a big deal at all? Welcoming somebody? Just simply noticing somebody and making the time or the effort to go and welcome somebody makes a significant impact into the life of that person. It is a God-glorifying work. Highly valuable and highly uh, critical to uh, the life of somebody. Just to go and make that time to say hello and invest something into them is a God-glorifying work. It's a big deal when it comes to that. It plays a vital role in seeing somebody come to Christ. When somebody walks into a church building, through the doors of the church, we have no idea what it's taken for them actually to walk through those doors. Seriously, we don't realise what's happened in the past of some of these people who may come to a church. We don't know what experiences they may have had. Hurts, abuse, any manner of things. They could have been totally deceived in previous churches or previous groups of people. They could have been through a whole manner of grief in a, in a previous church context or even in some sort of connection with Christians. We have no idea what it takes sometimes for those people to walk through those doors and perhaps even be 
trusting in people in the church again. And all those things of whatever may have happened in the past or whatever grief may have taken place, as it were, builds these barriers. It builds barriers, but it makes it hard for them to step through the doors of a church. They might just feel incredibly nervous about coming to a church. For whatever reason, that becomes a barrier. It makes it really difficult for that to happen. So when somebody makes the effort to come over and say hello and make them feel warmly welcomed, it goes a long way to removing those barriers. It disarms them. They may have had apprehension, they may have been tense, they may have been nervous about something. When somebody sensitively and lovingly approaches them just to say hello and engage with them, it goes a long way in a good work that glorifies God to remove those barriers of whatever it may have been that may have held them back from whatever previous or past experiences kept them out of a church. It is a great work that somebody does. And it takes effort. I know that it takes effort. But it reaps great rewards. It really does show somebody a, a community that is open and they are willing to embrace and they're willing to welcome people into the community and to uh, help them find Christ. And it is difficult, I know, because it, it's one of those things that we can get comfortable talking with their friends and we should be talking with their friends and socialising that. But at the same time, we should have this sort of spiritual antenna or spiritual radar up and sort of saying, I've never seen that person over there before. Actually, I need to go and just say hello to that person. Well, that person there, I don't think I've seen them for quite a few months. I need to go across and actually welcome them again and find out what's happening in their life. Who knows what may have happened in the last two or three months why they didn't come. But if someone comes and warmly welcomes them, it's a great way to glorify God. It's a challenge, but it's a good work that we can do. And you don't know what link in the chain that may be as we serve God as committed disciples, doing good works to glorify His name, what link in the chain that may be in seeing somebody come to faith in Christ. And this is exactly what God has prepared for us to do. Good works in advance that he's prepared for us to do. Here at this church, we want to connect people to Jesus. We want to grow people in Jesus. So we want to make every possible post a winner. It's not an upfront ministry. It's very insignificant. But can I say it is critically important in glorifying God and making him look infinitely worthy as we see ourselves reaching out to those who feel marginalised or feel very apprehensive about coming in. It helps them to see that there's a God who is willing to invest in their lives and that they are noticed by him. We are God's servants in doing that. Now I could put a whole lot of other applications into that across the board. I've only just picked out two, an upfront thing and a sort of more behind the scenes thing. But you can take that application of glorifying God and you can put it anywhere you like. You can be part of a sporting club, part of a social club. You can be at university, you can be at school. You can be in the workplace. Every single thing we do is a contribution of a good work that can glorify God and you don't know where you are playing a part in their lives of leading them perhaps to Christ. That application can go right across the board. There is no end to where we can actually glorify God. That is what our life is all about. Good works and then flowing, the good work of glorifying God then flowing down to every other layer of our lives wherever we are. Now, some of you may say this. Yeah, Todd, I agree with you. Yeah, I get that. I can see what um, the Holy Spirit's saying through Paul there in the Bible, and I, I get it. But you don't know where I'm at at the moment. You just don't know how life is for me. 
you don't know the burdens that I carry and the challenges that are just confronting me and I can't possibly do anything at the moment. I've got no capacity at all. I get that. I'm right there with you on that. You could be in a season of extreme challenge. You could be in a season of extreme burden. I get that. We go through seasons and your capacity could be very low. could be really, really low. You could be physically incapacitated where you just maybe can't even get out of bed. So what? You know, how can I use this gift or talent? That's all right. That's all right. If you're in that season, you know, it'll be a season. It'll be a season and that season will pass. And then you can, as it were, get back on your horse again and get going and use the talents and gifts that God has given us. We do go through seasons when times are challenging and times are difficult. We get that. The body of Christ gets that. Some others, though, may struggle with this. Their default position is really to sit back and let others do the work. That's what the word tells us. Sit back and take it easy. Don't overexert yourself. Let others go and do it. Someone else will help out on the music. Someone else will go and say hello to that person over there. It's the take no risk, easy path in life. Don't put yourself out too much. Take the comfortable path. Take it easy. Sit back. That can easily be the default position. I just want a more enjoyable, comfortable life. I don't want to have to put myself out there and perhaps do some of those things. Any one of us can struggle with that. No. Take the initiative. Be proactive. Think about Jesus who gave it all away for us so that we could be set free from sin and death and respond from that position and say, God, what is the ability and gift you've given to me? How can I use this now to serve you? And how can I let these talents reflect your glory into this world? How can I see what you've given to me? How can I take hold of this opportunity? And now can I please, can I please serve you through it and glorify your name? Be proactive and take the initiative there as a response of the gospel and in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we can do. It requires that commitment to Christ. It requires, again, to see what the gospel's done and what the gospel worked in my heart and my life and that I can respond in that and I can actually contribute what God has given to me to be used now for his glory. Let the glory of God then shine out of our servant heart, of our discipled, committed heart as a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ and let the gift or talent or whatever it may be, if it's insignificant, great, it's vital. If it's up front, good, use it humbly. Whatever it may be, let it bring glory to him. Let me close here with these words uh, from Jesus. Mark chapter 10, Jesus says this, but it, shall, it, but it uh, shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus didn't come and serve us, we would be all shot. There would be no way out. Jesus gives us this model and demonstration here of laying down his life for us, and now frees us and empowers us to lay down our lives in service for him and to glorify God through all the talents and abilities that he's given to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you today for Ephesians. Thank you today that you are a gracious, loving God. Thank you today that you are a God who empowers us. God, thank you today that you have not caused, called us 
to be, uh, as it were, idle garden statues sitting in the garden, just basking in the glory of your Son. Thank you that you've called us to be active, to reflect your glory into this world. Thank you that we can do this as our worship and praise for what you've done in us. Thank you, Lord, that you've prepared this beforehand and you've called us and purposed us to do these good works. God, thank you that you bless us through these good works, that we feel good in serving other people. Thank you that in some way, God, that we can play a part in seeing somebody come to Christ as you use whatever talent or gift that it is you've given to us to, uh, to reflect your glory into their life. God, thank you for that privilege. Today, Lord, I pray for those maybe who have got gifts or talents that have been sitting on and wondering what I should do, Lord, I pray that you would prompt them today to see that it's been given to them for a purpose, to reflect your glory into this world. For those, Lord, who have been taking the easy path, for those who have been sitting back and letting others do it before them, God, I pray today that you would prompt us all, renew our strength in all of us, renew the zeal within us, See, Lord, that we can be such a blessing to others as we commit ourselves to use this talent or gift that you've given to us. Lord, whatever's happened in the past, whatever drama has been there, whatever been abuse may have been there, whatever, whatever sort of advantage has been taken on some of those situations, I pray that the Holy Spirit, you would uh, break through all that and uh, free us to use those gifts that you've given to us for the glory of Christ's name. Lord, let this community be a warm, embracing welcoming community as we are let that continue to grow within us Lord the Father we would uh, take all of those barriers away as people may come into this body to hear about Christ and that we may be that community where they see Jesus reflected out through us help us to be these committed disciples committed to serve and doing this from the foundation of the gospel as we've seen today Father we ask that we pray that now in Jesus precious name Amen Let's uh, close with a song, hey, to finish up. Um, if anybody would uh, like some prayer or like to see me uh, regarding anything, please uh, feel free. Oh, yeah, just, Ben. I just wanted to uh, reshape one of the applications you made a little bit. Yep. Uh, when you were talking about people who are sort of at the end of their capacity and struggling, that actually is a gift to share with the church as well. Yep. Um, for people who are in that season to continue to cling to Christ in faith and trust and to be open and share that with people humbly and with tears and asking and approaching the church and people for prayer about that and just like that. I mean, it's a small thing, but actually that is a service yep. to our community as well and it brings great glory to the Lord because God is glorified in our suffering yep. and in our pain and in our trials by clinging to Him yep. and asking people to prayer and just sharing that alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which you were referring to in your sermon, it talks about, you know, if one member suffers, suffers, all suffer together. Yep. If one person is honored, all are honored together. So totally. Good, good, really good point. Um, nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted. There's many people suffering in the body of Christ, and when somebody shares that suffering, it actually encourages others. And as Ben just said, it brings glory to Christ, even in the middle of totally incapacitating suffering. Great stuff. Thanks, Ben.